0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Stitch of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on?
1: Bill, I was commuting into work on the train today, and it was a bit of a gross, rainy day. And a gentleman got on the train, and he was wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt. And in my head, I thought, nice. My school won in 2023, and his school didn't. And that's because Penn State has won the Rose Bowl. I could not be... Any more happy for this program?
0: That's right. Uh, Penn State won the Rose Bowl. Matt, do you mind if I say that again? Uh, Please do. Penn State won the Rose Bowl. Mind if I say that again? Go
1: ahead.
0: Penn State won the Rose Bowl. Penn State won the Rose Bowl. And because I like things in multiples of five, Penn State won the Rose Bowl. We're doing this on Tuesday evening. One day after the Nittany Lions walked out of Pasadena, 35-21 to win win over the Utah Utes. Um, Really comprehensive performance by Penn State. Unfortunately, there was uh, one thing from Utah's perspective that really uh, contributed to that for the Nittany Lions. But listen, Penn State is, for the second time in the program's history, joining off the heels of the 1994 Nittany Lion program that should have won national championship uh, instead of the University of Nebraska. They get to spend the next year saying they are the winners of the Rose Bowl game. And Matt, I mean, we, we, we were we were going to do something live um, after the game last night. Unfortunately, uh, something far more serious happened with DeMar Hamlin of uh, the Buffalo Bills that took our attention away from that. But uh, we're hoping we can spend some time talking about this win. And just in that moment, let me ask you this. Was there a moment in that game, once the game got going, were you felt really threatened by Utah?
1: Honestly, no. I, my one concern was going to be at right around, I want to say, four minutes to go in the first half when Penn State had a drive kind of stall out. Clifford got sacked. Um, I think I even said in our slack, just get to the half. It was at that point the defense was starting to settle in a little bit, but I thought maybe Utah could get some cheap points off of a bit of a stalled drive, but once they made it through that, once they got to the half, I was not concerned at all. It's a a big bummer what happened to Cam Rising. I think he's a guy who could have made that game a lot. I don't know if he would have affected the outcome in the end, but it probably would have been a closer game um, than it ended up being with him playing, but it really felt like Penn State took control, especially in the second half, and just never looked back. And we haven't seen Penn State do that to a – top 25 caliber team in what feels like a long, long, long time. So it was great to see that the momentum that built up since the Ohio State game really keep rolling in Penn State to just finish the season. Playing as good a football as I would argue anybody in the country not named Tulane or maybe even TCU, but TCU took a loss in the Big 12 title game. Like, I think you can make the case Penn State is the first or second hottest team in the country right now, Um, and that's a great way to end your season.
0: Yeah, I was uh, I was uh, looking at this a little bit earlier. But give me a second, I'll I'll pull it up. But longest winning streaks in the country right now: Penn State's on a uh, six-game winning streak right now. Georgia obviously is the longest winning streak in the country going back to last season. Washington's on a seven-game winning streak, Florida State's on a six-game winning streak. uh, Troy actually has uh, the second longest in the country. Penn State's actually on a five-game streak, sorry. Uh, Troy actually is the longest winning streak in the country outside of Georgia right now at 11 games. Uh, Trojans suffered a loss early in the season, just haven't lost since so uh yeah it's it's going out on a high note it's capping off you know one thing that i i was thinking about yesterday you know driving home from the bar driving home from uh where i was watching that sort of thing is like these are the kinds of seasons that like you hold a little more closely mm-hmm. to you i mean we i i don't want to get into i know this is more of your thing but i know one thing uh, that you like to do is, you, you know, ranking J- Penn State's seasons, ranking James Franklin's years of Penn State, whatever that is. And one thing I was thinking about is Penn State, under James Franklin, has won three other New Year's Six games. They beat... Uh, they beat Washington in the Fiesta Bowl at the end of the 2017 season. They beat Memphis in the Cotton Bowl at the end of the 2019 season. And now they beat Utah in the Rose Bowl at the end of the 2022 season. Obviously, this comes with, you know, Penn State makes it to the Rose Bowl because two Big Ten teams make it to the playoff. Both of them lost. Uh, whatever. And the reason I bring that up is when you think about the Penn State teams, that made it to those first two bowl games. I'm taking 2016 out of this, even though that's kind of the like spiritual, uh, similar team to this one. The 2017 team, obviously, they went into that season thinking this team could be a national championship contender. Come up a little bit short, still end up one of the top teams in the country. The 2019 team, we didn't go into that season. Matt thinking this team's going to be competing necessarily for a national championship. We knew they could be very, very good. They started the season 15th in the AP poll, you know, end up winning the, if yes, uh, winning the Cotton Bowl, end up ninth in uh, the final rankings. And I say that to say this, under normal circumstances, especially off of the last two Penn State seasons, which were just kind of abject disasters by however you slice it the fact that this team started the year unranked, there was so much angst, so much anxiety, just so many weird feelings that normally don't come when you go into a year with a veteran battle-tested quarterback and a coach fresh off of a brand new contract, a contract that gets extended and is a uh, show of faith in what he could do as a head football coach. To go from that, and unranked to being able to say you won the football game that, you know, every kid dreams of playing in the Super Bowl, every kid dreams of playing in the big NFL games, but you know, you have to go through college first and the first college game you dream of playing when you dream of playing in the biggest college football games in the Rose Bowl. It's like, man, how could there have been a more storybook end to the season than this?
1: There couldn't have been. And I you, you made the point that this is going to be a podcast we're going to do. I don't care what anybody says. We're going to do the ranking, the 10-win season under James Franklin. Um, because I think it's an interesting talking point. And I've given a lot of thought to this today, uh, both, you know, on my commute, just in, you know, in, in, in downtime. This might have been the best season under James Franklin. I thought it was 2019. I... I may be starting to convince myself it was this season because they only lost to playoff teams. They took care of business against lesser opponents in a way that we have never seen. And they capped it off with the first win for this program over a top 10 team since I believe Utah. And I'm sorry, since um, Ohio state in 2016 or who would have been in 20, Wisconsin, 2016 maybe would have been the last one. So it's the first one since 2016 is my broader point. Yeah. And the fact that that was on the shoulders of some seniors who have been through a lot and deserve to go out with a win and a ton of true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and sophomores who are out there making plays in big moments. Really, like you said, Bill, it makes this a perfect storybook ending. It makes it that you get to close that chapter on a really special group of seniors. And also it, creates a lot of excitement and buzz for the sequel. And I think the sequel is going to be a a hell of a lot of fun. And if it's anything like this year, especially this last month, um, I I don't think I'm going to be able to contain my excitement for for a full offseason.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you see stuff like Sean Clifford. uh, He's trying to throw a completion to his brother on his final, you know, one of his final plays uh the game or whatever and then he gets that curtain call and he comes off and like you just see him sobbing man that you was see that a was guy awesome who, man it was tough it, it was it was like brutal <laughs> like you see a guy who's given so much of this program he's just going off his eyes are red he's waving and we're going to talk about clifford in a bit but you see that you see like a guy like a pj Mustafer And just how happy and emotional he is. You see James Franklin do what is slowly turning into one of my favorite traditions in sports. And uh, if you are listening with children, uncle Bill is about to swear, uh, just leveling the shit out of Jair Brown because he got Gatorade dumped on him. And like, everyone's just laughing and smiling. It's just all that stuff. And we're sitting there. We're excited about the, you know, the baton pretty literally, other than the, Literally, unless Sean Clifford was holding a baton, it couldn't have been a more literal passing of a baton, passing of a torch to Drew Aller when he came into the football game. That happens, but in this moment, it's, to me, all about the guys who helped get Penn State here, who helped Penn State get this moment, get this sort of win, get the kind of hype and excitement that comes from winning this kind of game. And, you know, Matt, Again, we're going to get into what worked on the offense, defense, blah, 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 in a little bit. Uh, The air did kind of get taken out of this game a bit, I would say, uh, with the injury to Rising, that just really fundamentally changed the way that this game was going to go. But even beyond that, Penn State's defense had a solid game, mostly kept Utah out of the end zone. Even when Rising, uh, was in there. Their first half drives chart three and out, seven plays interception, long touchdown drive, a shorter touchdown drive. End of the half, they started figuring some things out. And then the second half, uh, before Rising went out, you know, they didn't really get a whole lot going against Penn State's defense. Penn State's offense, 448 yards, seven for 13 on third downs, uh, 12.1 yards per attempt, 5.5 yards per rush. I mean, it was while acknowledging the fact that. Rising, going out, fundamentally changed the game the way that it did. You know that I I thought Penn State, I they really could not have played a better football game. Just you know, holistic, holistically down to the fact that Barney Amore and Chris Stoll teamed up to pin a punt at the point five yard line.
1: Yeah, if you would have told me one of like the five coolest plays on this was going to be a punt and a long snapper having great coverage. Um, I would have said, "Wow, <laughs> con- congrats to Iowa on making the Rose Bowl." Um, but that was just awesome plays by again two sixth-year seniors, and I'm glad that that's how they get to end their Nittany Lion career. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a complete ass kicking. I will say the one thing that I was afraid would happen that kind of did, and we talked about it in our preview podcast is that Utah is built like a Big Ten team in that they want to bully you, and there yeah. were a few more opportunities for utah to run up the gut than i would have liked to see but at the same time penn state won the rose bowl by multiple scores i can't really complain about that it's the last game of the year these dudes are beat up they're tired i think we're gonna have to see a little bit of a shift in how penn state handles you know the a gap and the b gap moving forward i don't Mm. know you know if if maybe that means abdul carter plays a little bit more of a mike kind of role i think that would be a really great option but that, that's a conversation for, you know, July and August of, of this upcoming summer. But again, overall, it was just a, a really complete game. A few things to nitpick. But again, anytime you can be a top 10 team in a stadium that's 75% their fans, uh, you deserve to have your praises sung and you deserve to celebrate uh, for, a, for a couple of weeks. Um, I am excited yeah. that uh, I think it's really not that long now until the next group gets in here. I think classes start next week the next group of freshmen come in and we get to go through this fun off season cycle all over again.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I will say just as a general thing, uh, if Penn state makes it to the playoff next year, I really don't want to play Utah because no. they're, they're horrible. I, there were a few moments in that game where uh, those two running backs, Shaquindon Jackson and Micah Bernard, would do stuff. Jackson's I, a dude, I've,
1: man. I've, I've, oh I've my put, god!
0: I have a pull up here. He's a freshman who is six 6'2", 227. And there were a few times where he got the football, and I was like, oh, oh, Jesus. And Bernard's a sophomore, six foot two oh two. I mean, they've uh, that that running game is fun. But we'll talk, of course, in a few minutes about uh, just Penn State's kind of approach to dealing with. Everything, uh, but first we have some bills to pay, and of course we always do that by shouting out our friends at Homefield Apparel. I am wearing what I—I think I wore this on the last episode of the pod, my Penn State hoodie from Homefield Apparel. And of course, if you are a college sports fan in the internet, you are surely aware of Homefield Apparel. If you are not, they are a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. Uh, they told me, little birdie, told me that Homefield Apparel—they were celebrating. Huge day in the office because there's just so much pride when a Big Ten team does something good. And the reason there's so much pride when a Big Ten team does something good is because the other Big Ten teams couldn't hold up their end of the goddamn bargain. And only those beautiful, those inspirational Nittany Lions of the Pennsylvania State University could do that. Of course, I'm kidding, but it would be really nice if they did that. Uh, Getting into some of their gear a little bit, their shirts, their hoodies, their joggers, all those sorts of things, they're comfortable and unique. The designs are really cool, really fun. I don't have any other home field gear on me uh, right now other than this. Matt, are you wearing home field gear right now?
1: I am wearing home field gear. I am wearing the uh, the Take Me to Happy Valley Hitchhiking uh, Nittany Lion um, because – uh, when you in the ro- when you win the Rose Bowl, you're allowed to do uh light crimes like hitchhiking. I don't know if that's illegal. I'm pretty sure it is now. Um, but I actually saw some folks at the Penn State bar I went to uh in Chicago wear some home field gear. Um so that was really cool. I saw the um the one the sweatshirt you're wearing, I saw actually there, Bill. And nice. I saw another one of the uh the like off white uh Penn State ones at the bar as well. So that was always cool to see.
0: Uh, It appears that in uh, my state, the state of Ohio, uh, no person while on a roadway outside a safety zone shall solicit a ride from the driver of any vehicle except as provided in Division B-2 of this section, no person shall stand on a highway for the purpose of soliciting unemployment business or contributions from the occupant of any vehicle. So I do think uh, that means hitchhiking is illegal, but I'm not a lawyer. If you are a lawyer, please tweet at us uh, your thoughts on hitchhiking. We are at PSU PSUMAT2005. <laughs> uh, back to the uh, Homefield ad, which has gone just completely off the rails. Of there are 15 pieces of apparel in their Penn State collection. And if you were a new customer for Homefield apparel, you can use the coma code RORAL Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. It doesn't have to be Penn State gear. It can be whatever you want it to be, as long as it is your first order with Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. Matt, let's get back into talking about Penn State's 35 to 21 win over Utah. And we'll start with the 21 first. We'll talk about Penn State's performance in The game, Utah scored 21 points, seven of which were a garbage time touchdown. You know, I think Sebastian Constantini was uh, doing some heavy lifting on that drive, which respect to him. Uh, But, you know, Franklin was giving some guys a little bit of an opportunity to play. Penn State allowed 391 yards on the day, 207 passing, 184 rushing, uh, 5.2 yards per pass, 4.3 yards per rush couple of turnovers put into their Penn State had two turnovers, pair of interceptions, uh, picked off both of Utah's quarterbacks on the day. Uh, what went right for Penn State's deep? Uh, uh, and again, we're going to put the big kind of broad overarching thing over this of Cam Rising went out of the game. Utah looked much more hapless on offense after yes. that happened. But generally, what did you think went right for Penn State's defense so that it was able to limit a very good Utah offense to 21 points, 14 of which came uh, before garbage time?
1: I think the biggest thing is they allowed – I don't know how I want to word this. They allowed like those five, six-yard chunk plays, but then they kept on getting like tackles eight, nine yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like Curtis Jacobs had a great play on that weird reverse utah tried to do um penn state really just matched a lot of intermediate plays they were allowing with some big splash plays that they were able to force uh kalen yeah. king um best corner in the big 10 you he went, he went
0: full, full horizontal to pick that ball off
1: it was that great. was that's impressive body control man i think i think kalen king's a dog um Jair brown i couldn't be happier for that guy that dude just plays free safety and he knows how to go out there and locate the football yeah um and then once penn state's pass rush was able to finally generate some pressure you know the wheels kind of fell off i will say uh penn state got over the 40 sack mark for the year in this game and if you go back to our over under podcast from august i was the only one of our group to predict that so very proud of myself in that regard Uh, But once they were, uh, what
0: what about the number? The number of people who had seventy catches or whatever you put that number at.
1: I think I put. I think I put thirty-five or forty. I could be wrong. Either way, that one was a that one was a rough one on the odds maker, uh, which is uh, the voice currently talking on this podcast. Um, But overall, I, I, I do think that once Penn State settled in, once the you know talent. This is a bad way to word this, but once the talent started to take over you're not going to hold chop in check for a whole game anymore. You could get away with it against Purdue when we were all kind of concerned. It's, you know, game 13 in this system. You're not going to hold them in check. Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs, two good playmakers, um, Hakeem Beeman. And because Izzard, I think played a really strong game. Um, kind of once they stopped letting themselves get pushed around a little bit, I think with them being a little bit smaller, they're the kind of guys who can be a big reason why you allow a little bit more yards on the average rush, but, Once they get off their blocks and they get behind the line of scrimmage, especially on passing downs, they're tough to they're tough to handle. So it was just a really good job by Manny Diaz and company of generating big plays um, and really doing a good job of limiting super big plays that Utah was able to get.
0: Yeah. Penn State on the game, nine tackles for loss, led by two from both Curtis Jacobs and Adisa Isaac, and then one-and-a-half from Jair Brown. Six sacks on the day, one-and-a-half by both Jair Brown and and Chop Robinson, two from Curtis Jacobs. And uh, that's a really good point that you made. I, I thought Penn State did a really good job basically putting Utah in situations where they needed to get a ton of yards and not a ton of plays. Utah was really good when they were able to stay on schedule, when they were able to hand off to a guy like Jaquindon Jackson or a guy like Micah Bernard and say, go out there and get us five or six yards. Just don't worry about breaking a big one. Odds are you're not going to do that. Just go out there, pick up a few. Just wherever it comes up, pick up a few yards and make things difficult for them. I, I That touchdown run that Jackson had was – you know, dead to rights in the back, and kind of goes to the caliber of just playmakers, these guys are dead to rights in the backfield. Spin move, make Tyler Ells and miss, make you know, slip out of a few more tackles, saunter into the end zone. That touchdown drive that they had, you go through that, and that's just that's what Utah. The first touchdown drive, 13 plays, 75 yards, first and 10, second and seven, first and 10, second and three, third and two, fourth and one, first and five, second and one, first and ten, second and four first and 10 second and eight third and one first and goal touchdown. It was when you're they not going to do it able, much better
1: than that. That's, no, you're not. That's, that's that
0: is staying on schedule to a T that is exactly what you want to do in those kinds of situations. There was the one drive. there was their other scoring drive where, uh, you know, they were buoyed by, uh, a really big gain cam rising to Devon Valley, kind of the one big, uh, Haymakery passing play that they had again before toward you know closer to the end of the game. But for the most part, Penn State kept their passing game in check where the problems came up, and this is where we talk about rising's injury and how that really affected things, Matt. I thought Utah's most dangerous thing on designed passing plays was not Cam Rising throwing the football. As I went back and watched the game with the audio, I think. Kirk Herbstreiter, Chris Fowler said something to the extent of Manny Diaz once he said, we want Cam Rising having to throw the football. And on the game, Cam Rising was eight for 21, 95 yards, four and a half yards per attempt, a touchdown in the pick. The concern was when he had to throw the football and he was able to run, Rising on the game really, really hurt Penn State's defense. Nine carries, 56 yards. 6.2 6.2 yards per carry. That was to me, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. When rising went down, and when Utah had to go to Bryson Barnes's backup, that's where I thought the biggest difference is. I think Penn State's defense only sacked rising once, and it was at the end of the uh, it was at the very end of the first uh half. Once they had a guy who was a little bit more statuesque back there, who wasn't as much of a threat to break the pocket and extend a play with his legs and then throw it down the field Mm -hmm. or see a little gap open up and just run and take those seven, eight yards that pop up. That's when it felt to me like the game just changed entirely and Penn State's defense was able to go, all right, we're, we're not going to let you get anything. I think that's a good point
1: that it, it is a bit more that the backup was a bit more statuesque, but I think this is kind of a theory. I, I'm glad that I kind of get to flesh out here. Manny Diaz's defense is all about disguising blitzes and confusing quarterbacks. You don't want them to know who's dropping where, if they're in man and zone, who's coming off the edge where. And if you look at the quarterbacks that for lack of a better term, picked apart Penn state this year, or I, I guess played, above average games it's aiden o'connell 60 or senior it's um, cj stroud likely top three pick in the nfl draft it's jj mccarthy who is a five-star prospect and relied heavily on his run game and it's cam rising who didn't get to see a lot of but it was clear was taking care of the football and understood what he was looking at and in college football you're not gonna face very many guys like the names i just rattled off And you're Mm going to be able to feast on guys who play like the backup did. I'm sorry. His name's escaping me right now. Um,
0: Uh, Backup quarterback was Bryson Barnes.
1: Thank you. Barnes. I wasn't sure if it was Barnes or Browns, but I think my broader point is this Diaz defense is designed to put quarterbacks in hell, have them see ghosts. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that there's not a lot of film still on the Manny Diaz Penn State defense. And if you look statistically, his defenses usually hit their you know apex in about his second or third year at every stop he's been at. So I think it can get even more advanced. I think it's going to confuse a lot of quarterbacks moving forward. And, you know, I, I think uh, Kalia Kamakis from Minnesota was kind of where I thought this take was starting to form a little bit because he looked pretty lost against that defense a lot of the time. And I think seeing this guy go out there and kind of look similar deer in the headlights really just shows that Manny Diaz is yeah. a really good ball coach. And I'm glad that he's a, on Penn state staff, hopefully for at least one more year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I not knock on wood. We're past the part of silly season where someone's trying to hire Manny Diaz away from Penn state, but
1: maybe if the Colts, whiff just, on
0: Harbaugh, oof, God <laughs> almighty. Uh, 30 seconds on Jim Harbaugh. Um, okay. The fact, listen, if he was doing this nonsense with Michigan, where he was kind of holding them, holding them hostage, uh, saying to them, letting them know that he wants to leave, to you know take over what, what, what's 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 a team with an an older coach? Uh, I can't even think of it. An NFL team with an Carroll, older coach. Sure. The Seahawks, where there's something being built there. There are the pieces that are interesting there. Or, you know, let's hypothetically say the Chargers aren't sold on Brandon Staley. But you look up and down that roster and there's talent and talent and talent and talent and talent. And you think you could step in. You get this uh, thoroughbred in Justin Herbert. I can imagine him doing that. The fact that he's doing this nonsense for the goddamn Carolina Panthers... (laughs) What are we doing, brother? The, you pathetic, sad, pathetic little man. I hope he goes. I hope Michigan hires do a better you, football do coach. I,
1: do you think he's going to go? Do you think he's
0: going to go? I think if I what what happened with him in the Colts, uh, not the Colts, the Vikings last year was he apparently walked in and acted like the job was his and that was On national him. signing day he went. Yeah. And to me, I think that shows that he is a guy who is taking all of this for granted. It's kind of a game and it's kind of fun to him. So I think he's going to go if the right off, if an offer comes up, a offer, not the right offer. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think this dude sucks. Like, I think this dude really, really sucks. I think if he didn't go to Michigan and he wasn't a Michigan guy and hasn't been, you know, been willing to put up with a lot of stuff to get them to where they are now. I think Michigan fans would run him out of town, and I think they'd be totally justified in doing that.
1: Yeah. Um, I like Harbaugh a lot. I think Harbaugh's really good for the Big Ten, um, and, I, and I think it's cool when dudes succeed at their alma mater. Um, with that being said, if he goes to the Panthers, um, Sam Darnold will be a Pro Bowl caliber player um, in his first year if he goes there. I, I, will, I will plant my flag in that right now.
0: Uh, all right. Well, yeah. There's that. Um, Manny Diaz's defense, the way they really got a chance to tee off. You looked at, you mentioned it really well, I think, Matt, with a guy like Bryson Barnes, a guy who hasn't played a ton of football this season. To drop him into that high leverage of a situation. And when he has played this year, he's been all right. I mean, he yeah. uh, got some mop-up uh, duty against Colorado, played a full game against Washington State in Pullman, a place that's known to be a little bit tricky for quarterbacks, 12 uh 17 for twenty seven hundred and seventy five 175 yards, a touchdown. They won that game 21 to 17. He's been okay. He came into last year's Rose Bowl and uh threw for I believe threw for a touchdown against Ohio State's defense while rising was out with an injury. But coming in kind of just blind when you're going up against a defense that won- he he threw two passes against Ohio State. If I remember correctly, his touchdown was like a duck that someone just came down with, but I'll you know, don't quote me on that. But to come into that game and know I just need to do a couple of things while Cameron's on the sideline, he's going to come in. And to come into a game going, I need to win Utah this football game, are two completely separate teams. Yeah. things, Especially going up against defense like you mentioned, like Penn State, that wants to attack, that wants to come after you, that wants to play fast and physical and hard, and wants to get you behind the stakes. Like we mentioned, Once Utah started getting behind the sticks, they started to get, you know, things got just a little bit faster and a little bit faster against Penn State's defenses when bad things happen, which makes the fact that You know, the one interception that he threw, that wasn't necessarily what happened. It was a second and five. He just did a terrible job selling a play action and Jair Brown read it the whole way. Mm -hmm. And that throw, it's supposed to be a throw where you put it over, over the back shoulder. It's supposed to be a back shoulder throw. And it's supposed to be like that. So it either lands in the bread basket or it's out of bounds. And Jair Brown makes this incredible play. And that's ultimately what Penn State's defense is capable of doing. Having guys who are able to punish you for just that last little bit of hesitation, of worry, of concern, of, all right, we're going to do this. Let's go for it. Nope. Penn State's defense is going to pounce on those sorts of things. There was a really great example of uh, that trick play that they tried to run where they go with this insane end around uh, to Devon Valle. And I, it, I think it was supposed to be a throwback to rising that not getting that off immediately. Curtis Jacobs was on that, like white on race gets to him, takes it down. And when you start letting Penn state's defense do that stuff, you know, they ended that half uh, rising had a 15 yard run. There was a completion to Valle and then a lot of incompletions on that drive capped off by Curtis Jacobs sacking rising. And then the team's signed to go into the locker room. Once you start letting that snowball happen with Penn State's defense, Matt, that's when things start to become untenable. And I think it's a testament to Manny Diaz. Obviously, it's a testament to uh, guys like Jair Brown and Curtis Jacobs and Chop Robinson and P.J. Mustafer and the, the ones who are punishing Utah for this stuff, that once they started smelling blood in the water – that's when it felt to me, you know, I asked you that question at the beginning of the pod about when you started to feel comfortable or if you were being felt threatened or any by Utah or anything like that. For me, once Penn state started smelling blood in the water and just attacked, attacked, attacked more so than anything they were doing on offense. When the defense was doing that, that's when I felt like this football game was over.
1: Yeah. This is a, uh... It's a team that wants to go for the kill shot. And Utah kept giving them opportunities to kill drives. Uh, and they didn't miss. And again, that's a culture thing. That's a Manny Diaz staple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think John Scott Jr., uh, Anthony Poindexter, Terry Smith, I think those guys have done a really great job getting their guys ready to play in that kind of system because we talked about it for all offseason. Brent Pry's philosophy was Ben, don't break. And I'm not saying, you know, it's, you know, night and day, but there is a different way to play a lot of situations uh, when you have that philosophy change and that entire defensive staff had them ready to go. And that's that's just a big credit to those
0: guys. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a really good way to send this defense out. Like we mentioned, Matt, uh, in the lead up to this podcast, this was the best test they were going to get in terms of just pure physicality. Of an opponent that wanted to try and push them around, like I picked Utah because I thought they were going to do that. Mm-hmm. The best example of Penn State having to go up against that since Michigan and Ohio State, and again with the caveat that Rising was out there, looked a lot better when Rising was in. Blah 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 blah. I thought they handled that spectacularly. They punished mistakes. They won in the. Tr- they won up front. Uh, not every time. Hell, you could. I think you can make the case at. You know, four point three yards per carry. Their two main running backs going for six point two and six point four yards Not per great. carry. Then adding in rising six point two. There, there were plenty of times, plenty of times where Utah wanted the trenches more than Penn State. I thought Penn State won enough. I thought Penn State's front seven did enough to win that football game, or to keep keep them uh, keep Utah from scoring in that football game until they could start teeing off a little bit more. I didn't think Penn State was, like, overly physical, uh, at least there. We'll talk about the trenches in the other side of the football, where I thought they were the more physical football team. Yes. But I thought they did enough. I mean, what did you think about kind of that battle in the trenches uh, with Penn State's defensive front going up against Utah's offensive line?
1: Yeah, like I said to start, I didn't think they won the A-gap and the B-gap end. That's a problem. I'm not going to. Again, I I know I just said that, you know, we're going to sing their praises and this is a problem that they have a long time to figure out. It's a problem that they allowed over six yards of carry. to. you say rising was there as well. So that's three guys with over six yards per carry. That's not uh, 6.2, 6.2
0: and 5.4.
1: Okay. all right. Well, essentially, three guys over five yards of carry is still pretty bad for a Big Ten team who has to play. Ohio state and Michigan next year. And that's, that's the measuring stick next year. Now that bar has been elevated. The goalpost has been moved. Um, Plan your schedules accordingly. Um, But I thought overall the edge rushers did a pretty good job. I thought Adisa Isaac looked the most comfortable he's looked in a bit. Um, Nick Tarburton. uh, I, we love it when an Eastern PA King gets to go out there and have a good game. Um, Jacobs, Carter, Kobe King almost had a pick. I thought that was a pretty good play towards the end of the game, but.
0: Would have been a really cool moment. Would have
1: been him. a really cool – with both Kalen and Kobe getting a pick in the Rose Bowl. Especially because if would Kobe, awesome. picked,
0: Kobe picked it off, there was nobody standing between him and the end zone. So he would no. get to have – he would get to have I had a college pick six before you over his brother for the rest of his life.
1: <laughs> that is true. Um, but, again, I, I, I I'm a little bit concerned about what Penn State has, especially at defensive tackle. I think that they can figure it out. Um, but I am curious to see if one of Izard or Beeman takes the off season, uh, heeds the advice James Franklin ranted about back on October fifteenth, and if they bulk up a little bit because that's my only concern heading into next season is that defensive tackle room um, and how they will handle physical teams. Um, but you know, again, overall they gave a lot and they took even more, so it, we'll we'll take the wins where we can get them.
0: Agree. Let's move to the other side uh, of the football where we're going to talk about Penn State's offense, what went right for them. And there's a moment uh, – we're going to talk about the passing attack in a second because I, we need to dedicate a lot of time to Sean Clifford and what he was able to accomplish. But yes, uh, after the game, Frank Leonard, what, uh, offensive analyst, uh, well-traveled guy, someone who I believe was with Mike uh, – not Mike, uh, Phil Troutwine at Boston College – There's a video going around. I I apologize to whoever took it because I I forgot to uh, give a hat tip. I'll pull that up in a second. Where he was in a very prideful way, very prideful way, screaming. Everyone was saying they were going to be the tougher team. We were the tougher team. And then Terry Smith goes up to him and says, we're Big Ten tough. And Frank Leonard just screams Big Ten tough. And, you know, there's a lot of ways where that macho nonsense associated with the game of football sucks, really sucks. Uh, But when we're talking just through the context of how Penn State's offensive line held up against a front seven that's really tough, really physical, really well-coached, is not going to give you a ton, which is a little bit different from another group on Utah's defense, which uh, seemed very willing to give Penn State whatever it wanted. I thought Penn State's offensive line, with the exception of the three times Sean Clifford was sacked. And, you know, there were a few tackles for loss uh, piled in there as well. I thought Penn State's offensive line, without Olu Fashanu, without Landon Tangwall, with Drew Shelton being a youngster, all this stuff, I thought that unit went out there and had one of their best games of the season, just really pushing around, again, a front seven that is big, tough, physical, well-coached, knows exactly what they had to do.
1: I think, and I could be wrong, and I actually want to know your thoughts on this. Did Drew Shelton play his way into the inside track for a starting job next year?
0: Um, I don't think that decision is made based off of one football game. Right, but, yeah. What I will say is, if the season starts next year and the tackles are Olu Fashanu instead of Drew Shelton and Drew Shelton instead of Olu Fashanu and Caden Wallace, I'm going to feel really good because I you know I think that guy's uh for how young he is, he is a really good football player.
1: that This was his breakout game. I thought Drew Shelton played the best game of anybody on that Penn State offensive line of anybody. Um, on that Penn state offense, I would go as far as to say, I mean, you know, maybe not. You got to give a cliff his flowers, but he, especially his run blocking opened so many holes. And I think it was directly responsible for Singleton breaking out on the national stage. He was great. I thought Norzad looked really good. I'm pumped to see him at center. I love Juice Scruggs. I'm a big Juice Scruggs fan. Great job by him. Sal Wormley, Caden Wallace got back in there, which was awesome to see him work his way back. I thought Catron Allen and Brenton Strange, when they went with the T formation, blocked really well. We've seen the T formation blow up a lot, and Penn State went out there, and they made sure it did not do that this week, and that was cool to see. So just a ton of credit to the big guys up front. Trout Wine, uh, I don't think was coaching for his job, um, but he was coaching for a um I don't want to work. He was coaching for an off season that wouldn't be littered with questions and he answered the bell. Uh so just really, really phenomenal job by Trout Wine and all those guys. And they're only gonna get better once they get Olu, Landon Tangwall, uh back from injury and with Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, and Anthony Donko coming in. So yeah. Uh I'm not saying this can be a top three unit in the Big Ten. Um but my expectation is no longer to take baby steps. Uh, Now I want to see them uh, really become a great to dare I say, elite offensive line in the years to come.
0: Yeah. uh, The Frank Leonard video came by way of Dean Straka from uh, 24 seven sports. I want to read a quote real quick from juice Scruggs that he gave, gave after the game, uh, This comes by way of Max Ralph of the Daily Collegian. Uh, That was definitely our goal all year, definitely in the offseason. Improve the run game, improve the run game. The critics and everybody was just bashing the O-line and we ate it, we ate it. But we came back to sheer focus and determined to change that and we did take that. And I think those guys, you could definitely see they played with that kind of mentality, that kind of nastiness, that kind of chip on their shoulder, that kind of all those sorts of things that Again, when you have a your leader on the offensive line saying that, and when you have the uh, offensive, the, basically the offensive assistant who has worked with the offensive line coach taking going off the field screaming about we were the more physical team, it seems pretty safe to say they were relishing this opportunity to go out there against the Utah uh, front and running backs play. Katron Allen had a fine game: eleven carries, thirty-seven yards, and a touchdown out of the wing T formation. That uh, or Give me a second. Uh, the our, our pals over at the Let's T- uh, not over there. Eh, sorry, uh, over at the Hardcore Penn State Football Podcast uh, said that they started calling it the Trout Formation. I'm into calling uh, the T formation is called the Trout Formation. Uh, I will be sticking with that for a while.
1: I like Alan that. gets a good one- bit.
0: Alan gets one out of that. You know, he had a couple of runs where it was foot in the ground, make a guy miss, pick up a few more yards. You know, he didn't have a bell cow game or anything like that. But, you know, the story of the game is Nick Singleton, uh, who this was go- going into this game. It was viewed as an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, a lot. I think a lot of college football fans who fought, watched Penn State knew the name Nick Singleton. Uh, not a lot of people follow recruiting all that closely, uh, but if they did, they know who Nick Singleton is. And to see him go out there and become the third Penn State running back to have some insanely longer, I think his 87-yard run uh, was the long, up there for the longest in Rose Bowl history. Seven carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns. I, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the hype train for anything, uh, Matt, because I think that's a bit of a disservice to this team. But for Singleton, the hype train is going to start going off the rail sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, and I want to make sure we, we – I'm glad that we shouted out Alan first because – That's his job. He's going to have games where Mm -hmm. he is the bell cow. He is the one who's going to get 15 carries, and it's going to be his time to shine. And he did get his time to shine. I mean, the kid scored 10 touchdowns as a true freshman, and he wasn't even Penn State's leading rusher. Like, Allen, I think, did exactly what he needed to do in this game. And Singleton, his big thing has been he will rip the big play, and boy, did he do it. Once that engine gets revving and he is in the open space with nothing but green grass around him, he moves at a different gear than most other humans have. And it was really neat to see. And I'm, I'm excited for that duo to continue to get better. And again, to only run behind what I think is going to be a a better offensive line. But I think Nick Singleton really put his name in there for that elite, you know, group of five or six running backs heading into the 2023 campaign.
0: Yeah. There was one guy he had to get past uh, on his big touchdown run. He just shed him, just ran right by him. And by the, by the time he got past that, by the time he was on pet on Penn State's twenty, not even Utah's twenty, Penn State's twenty, I'm standing up at the bar with my hands in the air because he was just gone. There's nothing you could do when that guy gets ahead of steam out in the open field. You're not catching him. He is nope. going to score, and Utah just kind of made that mistake and. Speaking of mistakes that were being made by the back end of Utah's defense, I Penn State's passing <laughs> attack. We're going to talk about we'll talk about Clifford specifically. I just want to talk about the pass catchers and Matt. One thing we were talking about in the lead up to this pod was attacking them down the field. Mm-hmm. About how USC, Ohio State, in recent in their recent uh, big games had a little bit of success attacking Utah down the field. We're going to take Keandre Lambert-Smith out of it just for a half second because I just want to read everybody else, and he's the big outlier here. But Theo Johnson's one catch was for 28 yards. Trey Wallace had two catches for 27 yards and 20 yards. Mitchell Tinsley, couple short ones in there, but he also won for 16 yards. Tyler Warren had one in there for 15 yards. I believe Penn State defines big plays in its passing game as receptions of 15 or more yards. They had a ton of those in those guys. And then, of course, uh Keandre Lambert Smith, uh the the, the phrase is if he's le- even he's leaving. He was even with uh the defensive back before he even threw his hand up in the air and said, Sean, throw me this football. Uh it, and a huge play for him, the kind of confidence-inspiring thing that I think we wanted, hope he could potentially get. Uh, his 88 yard touchdown is now the longest reception touchdown in Rose Bowl history by 12 yards over a 76-yard touchdown catch Kurt Stevenson had against Washington for the University of Michigan in 1978. Uh, it was this was exactly exactly what I thought Penn State's group of pass catchers needed to do in this game, Matt. They were just able to get down the field. Utah was giving them acres of space to catch the football. And really outside of that one drop by Trey Wallace in the third or fourth quarter where, you know, Clifford puts it right here and it, he, you know, just bounced off his hands. Like that that's about a spotless of a performance you can have from a receiving core that had some, you know, they were maligned a little bit coming into the season outside of Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I did not think Penn State had a receiver on the roster with that kind of game Keandre Lambert Smith had uh, in them. I did not think KLS could do that. I th- I didn't think he would do that. I thought he could do it. I thought it would take an off season of confidence building uh, to get him there. And he shut me up. So major credit to Keandre Lambert Smith. My concerns about the wide receiver room in 2023 are a lot um, more at ease now, I guess is the best way to put that, but just major credit to him. And I want to give another shout out to to Trey Wallace. He had that bad drop, but there's a slant that he runs. I think it's Mm not like the Penn state, like 23 and Clifford throws the ball behind him. And Trey Wallace makes a phenomenal play on the ball, brings it in and fights for a little bit of like an extra yard or two through contact. And I think he's a guy who can really benefit from a big offseason. I really liked what those two gave them and, You know, you're the one who called the Mitchell Tinsley breakout game, uh, or you said he was the guy you're watching the closest, and he delivered. I really like what Mitchell Tinsley gave this offense in the year 2022, and I wish we would have had more of him, because I think he's the kind of guy who is going to play seven years in the National Football League and be a very, very solid option for a very lucky quarterback. So, Taylor Stubblefield, you know, take a bow. You got your guys ready after your number one guy was out for a long time, and I, I'm very excited to see what Keandre Lambert Smith and, and Trey Wallace and the rest of those guys can can bring to the table going forward.
0: Yeah, T- Tinsley's reliable, isn't he? I mean, yep. he's kind kind of what you didn't have get a reception from Brenton Strange in this game. Johnson attacked more down the field. Warren's one catch came down the field. Just having a guy like Tinsley, Catron uh, Allen had three catches uh, in this mm-hmm. game, which was surprising to me. It felt like he had more. But just having that guy like Tinsley on the perimeter, if you could just get the football to, he's going to catch it. He's going to get whatever yards are needed other than, you know, like I think the first, second drive of the game, he gets to an inch away from the first down line. And he just gets tackled. But other than that, like he was just great all game. And mm-hmm. they were attacking, again, attacking a Utah secondary that was giving them things. That was really yep. going out. Like I, I, I'll be honest, I – even if Clark Phillips played in that game, they were just not good. Like it was not a good performance by now. I was like disappointed and I don't even like Utah. But of course, a big part of that is Sean Clifford, the performance that he had. And I want to just, we'll talk about Sean in this game, in the big picture. You know, I don't care about his Penn State legacy. I don't care about, was he better than Kerry Collins, better than Trace McSorley, better than Christian Hackenberg, better than da, 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 da. Like, I don't care about that stuff. But what I do care about is that as someone with a bit of a soft spot for a good story, as someone with a bit of a soft spot for clean and tidy endings, 16 for 22, 279 yards, 12.7 yards per attempt, two touchdowns. I think of the two guys who played quarterback before him. For Penn State. Christian Hackenberg and how his career ends with an injury against Georgia in the tax slayer bowl. And that's just it for him. He never takes another snap for Penn State. Game over. Never Trace took another McSorley, snap in the pros either. And yeah, never took another snap in, in the pros. Trace McSorley gets hurt in that game against Kentucky, that citrus bowl against Kentucky. And He just didn't get a chance to send himself off with a really good performance. He ends up getting injured. I I don't even care about the rest of the team, how that team will, whatever. The opportunity to kind of have that storybook ending got taken away from Trace McSorley through injury, through whatever else. Sean Clifford had the opportunity to go out in style in front of him. And he didn't just do that. He did that by having as good of a game as we have ever seen out of him in the blue and white. And if you're romantic about college football, even if you're just getting past, you know, the ups and the downs that this guy has had, you know, getting pulled for Will Levis, the calls for Drew Hour to play over him, how the last year, two years have went all these sorts of things, man, how can you not get goosebumps over that?
1: It was really cool uh, to like scroll through Twitter and to see all of these accounts who, for a long time, you know, were like, "Oh, haha, Sean Clifford!" Like, you know, he's been around forever, and you know, he he is what he is. Um, to watch all of them kind of come together and unanimously say, "Like, yeah, that was cool! Like, good for Sean Clifford." Nobody, I think, actively rooted for Sean Clifford to fail. Uh, and it was really cool to see him go out there, play what I think was the best game of his Penn State career. Uh, and go off a Rose Bowl champion is just a, a really, really fun thing. And I think Sean Clifford is leaving the Penn State program in a better place than he found it. And I think yeah. that was also true of Christian Hackenberg. And I think that was also true of Trace McSorley. Um, and that's all I can ask out of a quarterback at this level is that you leave this program better than you found it. And for Sean Clifford to go out there get his swan song, get a Rose Bowl stadium to get on their feet and cheer for a guy who was booed uh, like two months ago in his own home stadium. Uh, I, I just think was a really cool moment. And I, I am glad Sean Clifford gets to go on and try his luck in the NFL. Um, you know, do whatever's next for him in life. I think he's going to be a wildly successful businessman when he does hang them up. And it was just really neat to see that this chapter of his life and this chapter of Penn state football got to end in such a cool way. And I really wish he would have been able to throw a touchdown to his brother. That would have been like, that would have been the coolest thing ever. That like what, that would have felt like it was surreal, but overall just really, really well done by Sean Clifford. And I'm happy that he gets to ride off into the sunset.
0: Yeah. And when you look at just the game and just his performance in the game, On one hand, Matt, I think he did an excellent job of taking what Utah gave him. There were, you know, I was talking to uh, our pal Peter Burks a little bit earlier, and there was this one throw early on in the game where uh, I think it was Johnson down the field, and there's just a pocket of space. There are, like, safety, corner, linebacker, or something. There's basically just this triangle, upside-down triangle, and he's in a pocket of space and Sean just zips it into him. And I remember watching that going, Oh, he's going to have a day. Mm -hmm. And he was just so crisp, so accurate, making such good decisions pretty consistently that that was like, that was awesome. And then to see him kind of, you know, go into the bag and pull out the clubs that he doesn't normally hit with. And he's evading pressure by spinning, breaking the pocket, seeing someone downfield, throwing it on the run, and just dropping it into a bucket. It's like, where, who the hell is this guy? What happened to the Sean Clifford who, um, you know, last couple – since the Ohio State game, 229 yards, 139 yards, 157 yards, 202 yards, seemed very happy to defer more to his running backs and just kind of slow things down, ease – you know, nice, easy, conservative offense – He was being a bit of a gunslinger out there, and I thought that was the thing that he did so well. He understood that the strength of Utah's defense was its front, that its secondary was incredibly weak, and he just saw everything. He saw all the pressure that they wanted to bring before they brought it. He saw all the pressure as it was coming, and most importantly, Matt, he saw those little pockets of space where – You were able to throw the football and you're able to take easy completions. But unlike past weeks or past games this year where the easy completion is for, you know, five, six yards, it's 12 to 15 yards down the field.
1: I thought this was the first time in a while Sean Clifford didn't get happy feet. Uh, I thought he stood in the pocket when it was time to take a sack. I thought he felt pressure really well. That play where he spun out of some pretty good interior pressure by Utah and found Keandre Lambert-Smith, like, you know, 19-odd yards down the field, was a really, really smart play. And he just looked comfortable. And a lot of that was I just think he has a lot of faith in Mike Yurcich and his game plan and his offensive line. And he doesn't have to carry the load anymore. He didn't have to because the running backs have finally returned after two and a half years of being away. And you could tell he really understood Mm -hmm. what he had to do to win that game. And for him to look comfortable, pick apart a secondary of a top 10 team in the way he did again, it's just all the credit in the world to him. I could not be happier for that kid.
0: Yeah. And You know, we'll we'll end before we start going into handing out game balls, kind of talking big picture things. When you saw him going off at the end of that game, Franklin calling a timeout, pulling him like you know, pulling him from the game, telling everyone else, stay on the field, let Sean have this moment, and he's waving to everyone in Van State gear. You know. Jair Brown didn't get with respect to Jair Brown, with respect to PJ Mustafer, blah blah blah. <laughs> Chris Fowler actually had some incredible line uh while talking about Clifford, uh, where he said, mustafer has been there forever, Clifford's been there a year longer than that. Uh, which <laughs> he, he he said that while I was talking, I'm like, oh Jesus, that's between that and like uh talking about the uh total implications on Utah's last drive. Man was just like man was just having a blast by the end of that game, but Clifford gets that moment where he gets to walk off to the sideline, just him, you know, the phrase man in the arena has been thrown around however many times over the last couple of days. And he gets to throw his hands up and sh- and wave to everyone. He gets to go. He seemed like he went up to every individual person on Penn State sideline, dapped them up, hug them, whatever. He orchestrates the Gatorade dump on Franklin, all that. But when you see Franklin calling that timeout and you see Clifford standing there and thanking you know, thanking Penn State fans, saying goodbye, whatever. What went through your mind as someone else who watched him play quarter? You know, as a four-year starting quarterback for the Nittany Lions, the guy who owns every record that there is to own in Penn State's record books.
1: That's what this is all about. I mean, this is this is college football. This is a very unique part of American culture, and yes, it's not very often you get to be the guy have to go through hell and get a chance to write a redemption story. A lot of the time you're the guy you go through hell and then you become 2023, 2022 Carson Wentz. Um, it's yeah. very often yeah. you get a chance to retell your story and to climb the mountain again. Um, and I don't think we're going to see very many people just in the transfer portal era. And that's totally fine. Like, you know, if you have a better opportunity go somewhere else, but to see a guy stick it out and, and, climb the mountain in the same place he did it the first time and to go through what he went through to have people boo him, to have people say, even me myself, and I'll, I'll stand by that take. I, I, I said he should have been benched. I said it was time to pass the sticks and I'm not a coach. So who cares what I say at the end of the day? And we got this moment. It was a cool moment and I am very glad that Sean Clifford got to soak it in. Yeah. Um, and again, he gets to ride off into the sunset as the benchmark for Penn State football quarterbacks, maybe not in terms of talent, but in the way they handled themselves, the way they led the program. Um, yeah, he, He's a guy I was very glad led my alma mater for the better part of a right. what feels like the better part of a decade.
0: Right. I mean, a thing that I have been thinking about is that, you know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier on the podcast. Every kid's dream is to play in the NFL and win the Super Bowl. But every kid knows that that requires going through college and requires doing everything you can in college to get to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And from the time you are, you know, this tall as a football fan, you know that the Rose Bowl is, it's the most important thing. There is no thing in the sport like the Rose Bowl. And when you're playing in your backyard, when you're playing your college football video games that used to exist, but don't anymore for another few years. You're playing, imagining that you're playing in the Rose Bowl. And those days when you're a kid, when you were a teenager, those days of, you know, passing up, going home, and playing video games with your friends because you want to spend a little bit more time because uh, this coach at this camp said, you know, you have a couple of D2 offers, but if you keep sticking to it, I think you could be a D1 quarterback. Those days of being in college and having to wake up at 5 a.m. to go lift and having to go through film and having to do this and that, all these sorts of things, all of them are done with one thing in mind, and that is to be able to say, I played in the biggest stages in the sport. And Sean Clifford didn't get to play in the playoff. It's unfortunate. Penn State was never really uh, that close to being a playoff team while he was here other than last year before he ends up getting hurt. But he got to play in the Rose Bowl. He got to play one of his best games in the Rose Bowl. And he played so well in the Rose Bowl that he gets that moment of being able to get appreciated. And hand off the program to the guy who I brought you to, I brought us to here. It's your turn. Bring us to here. And Mm -hmm. that's just such a powerful moment. That's just... Like, I don't want to be some, one of these people who sits here. And I, I certainly know you weren't doing this. I don't want to be one of these people who sits here, complains about the transfer portal, complains about this, complains about blah, blah, blah. But it's just so rare to see guys who go through that many ups and downs get this kind of an opportunity. And it was so cool to see that. You know, one thing that we talked about, uh, I don't think we talked about it on the pod. We talked about it in, you know, in Slack and whatnot, Matt, was... You know, if you're benching Clifford, who knows what that does for the locker room? Who knows what guys think of the locker room? And I think you saw when every guy is going up to Clifford and hugging him and guys are getting emotional because of how much they love that dude, you kind of got a glimpse into why that was something that might have weighed on the staff. If anyone, anyone even tried to have that conversation, everyone seems like they love that dude. Everyone seems like they appreciate that dude. And I'm glad that he got that moment. And It's something that's never going to be taken away from him. It's something that it sets the standard for where Penn State wants to go now. Now you look at Drew Aller, you say, or Bo Prabula, Drew Aller, Bo Prabula, whomever else is going to be coming in, and say, this is what we've done. We've won 11 games. We've made it to the Rose Bowl. We've won the Rose Bowl. James Franklin uh, is the fifth coach to win the Rose Fiesta and Cotton Bowls, joining Joe Paterno Bob Stoops, Mac Brown, and Terry Donahue uh, per Penn State football's comp staff. Can you get us to that last little bit? And he gets to forever say he was part of that. And I think that's just – that's so cool. It's, that's one of those reasons why we end up loving sports, why we end up loving college football and getting to witness it rocked. Let's give out some game balls. I'm going to throw a little curveball okay. to you. Because the Rose Bowl handed out game balls, I am not letting you hand them out to Sean Clifford or Jair Brown. Okay. Fair. Very so fair. one guy on offense, one guy on defense, who are you going to give him to? I'm
1: going to give a special team one, two, because I want to make sure I call sure. that out one more time. Um, offensively, I am going to give it to Nick Singleton. It's it's back. Penn state's running backs. They're back. And it's a big part because of number 10 uh, over on defense. I'm going to give this one to Adisa Isaac. He was, I saw he was a game captain ahead of the game. That was cool to see. And, I thought he looked really comfortable in that game overall. Mm -hmm. I I really think assuming he does choose to come back next year for his fifth season of college football, I think he's a guy who can be an absolute force for Penn state's defensive ends. And, you know, with chop Robinson, deny Dennis Sutton, um, you know, I think it's kind of like the headliners there just by nature of how young they are, how exciting they are. I think Isaac can be the best of that bunch Um, and special teams, Dom DeLuca, He is on scholarship now. Major, major shout out to him. Awesome, awesome job by that guy, man. You always want to root for a walk-on, especially a walk-on who is out there and contributing not only as a special teamer, but actually in the base defense. But his kick coverage all year has been nothing short of spectacular. So great, great, great job to Dom. Congrats to Dom DeLuca. Congrats to his family on getting on scholarship. Absolutely. Um, I, I really am excited to see uh, him continue to have a big role in Stacey Collins' special team unit moving forward.
0: Italian American excellence. Uh, offense, I'm going to give mine to Keandre Lambert Smith because I think a good rule is if you do something literally no one has ever done in the Rose Bowl before, you deserve praise for that. 88 yard touchdown run, again, long uh, touchdown catch, again, longest in Rose Bowl history. And this is the kind of thing that hopefully he uses as a springboard heading into next season. And the defensive side, Of the football, I'm going to give it to Curtis Jacobs. Uh, Adisa Isaac's a great pick here, Uh, but Jacobs, you know, I think we were coming into this game thinking, you know, this is a bit of an opportunity for Abdul Carter to break out, and you know, Curtis Jacobs is a bit of a known commodity for Penn State fans and people beyond that. But he had a fantastic game, five yep. tackles for solo, two sacks, really two did. tackles for loss. And he showed he showed that he is the guy who I think we all thought he could be coming into the season. Didn't always think we saw that this season, but a great, great game for Curtis Jacobs. So I'll give it to him. And then, yeah, a sh- uh, big shout out to Dom DeLuca. He always, uh, you know, he was didn't have the fanfare that you see with some uh, – some walk-ons getting scholarship, but he got his right after a Rose Bowl win. So, you know, I think that, uh, I think that counts. Uh, yeah, we, I, we will do wrap up stuff in the coming days and weeks because we have, uh, several months worth of podcasts we need to do in the lead up to blue white. So we will save that, uh, for a little bit later. Just the one thing I want to mention, uh, and that's that Penn state didn't just win uh on the football field they won in the world of transfers picking up a commitment from devin carter a uh, wide receiver from north carolina state uh has been with the Wolfpack for the last five years grad transferring using his final year of eligibility at penn state this past year 25 catches 406 yards two receiving touchdowns 118 receptions 1096 yards 10 touchdowns for his career uh, Matt, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm the most well-versed person in Devin Carter's game. I have watched a little bit of his film, and there's some stuff that I do like in there, but what are your general thoughts on uh, Devin Carter joining Penn State's pass-catching unit?
1: Another bite at the apple, man. Sixers' second-round pick circa 2015. Let's just go find dudes who can go out there and help Drew Aller. Um, yeah, big-body guy. Played in a in a similar offense, I think, overall in NC State. Played with a high-level quarterback in um, – Oh, my goodness. Devin Leary. Uh, not Devin Leary. Devin Leary. Yeah, Leary. Devin Leary. Thank you. It was the name. Um, so, you know, just exciting to have another guy in there. They It sounds like they're not going, um, or at least their initial main targets aren't going to end up in the blue and white. Uh, but it's great to see a big body out there who can help Penn State stretch the field a little bit more and, uh, and again, mm-hmm. give Aller or Pribula or whoever it is uh, another big body to throw the ball up to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's kind of the one thing that, Penn State's pass catching unit was missing going into next year outside of the tight end room Is they really missed that kind of big physical wide receiver who you throw a football up to him and he could just be like a power forward going up to grab a rebound. Carter's listed at 6'3", 215 pounds. You know he hadn't hasn't had insane production or anything like that. His best year uh came in twenty twenty one when he caught thirty one balls for five hundred and fifty six yards and six touchdowns. But first year average sixteen, yeah, had a, it's a very nice year. Uh, sixteen point two yards per reception for his career. Uh, a a guy again a guy whose profile Penn State just they didn't really have that this year. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley was a strong dude, but he wasn't exactly, uh, you know, this kind of like huge framed monster guy, Parker, Washington, obviously an excellent contested catch guy, catch guy, but didn't really have that. So I I'm excited. I, I think that having a guy like him makes the rest of the wide receiver room fall into place a little bit. Uh It makes the fact that, you know, Liam Clifford, Omari Evans, Anthony Ivey, Tyler Johnson, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Caden Saunders, Trey Wallace. They don't, aren't really similar physical profiles. The one similarity is Malik Mega and, you know, just hasn't really clicked for him yet. So I'm excited to see what Penn state can get out of him. I hope we get the chance to learn a little bit more about Devin Carter as the weeks go on, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have much of anything else to, uh, much of anything else to say on today's issue of the pod. Uh, Matt, you got any final, final notes before we uh, before we call it on this one?
1: Uh, nothing on the game, but um, I don't want to speak on behalf of Bill, but when we made the decision to shut down our website portion of our enterprise uh, this summer and shift only to the podcast, I know we were all very excited to continue to make content together. Um, we've all worked together for the better part of five years now, uh, and we love doing the podcast, and thank you all for following along this season. Uh, it's been a ton of fun and I'm excited to talk uh, Penn State hoops here. I think we we're planning an yeah. episode here this week or next week and uh, excited for the offseason. But thank everybody for uh, for subscribing, for downloading, you know, for commenting in the YouTube videos. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and we're excited about where uh, where we're heading in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the pod and every edition of the pod that we've done this season. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcasts, head to the link tree link in our Twitter bio. If you would like to learn a little bit more about where you're going to go, but if you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, if you want to use, uh, another podcasting platform you could leave us some sort of a rating review there, please go ahead and do that. Be nice to us though, because we're very sensitive people. Speaking of sensitive people, YouTube comments section. We get very upset when people are mean to us there. So please go there and be nice <laughs> while talking about uh, the Nittany Lions in any form or fashion that you would like. Uh, of course, make sure you're following us over at our Twitter account at RLR blog, where I plan on doing just some absolutely garbage posting, uh, knowing that Penn State has won a football game this year. Uh, and both Ohio State and Michigan, have not. Uh, and then, last but not least, uh, want to give one last shout out to our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Again, use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for fifteen percent off of your first order. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.
1: Rose Bowl.